listener production. Hi there, and thanks for listening to another episode of That's Enough Already. Look at you making good decisions. The podcast where my guests will divulge the things that absolutely shit them to death. My guest today is Matt Preston, the only man in Australia to have cornered the elusive cravat-wearing foodie market. Very tight market. Matt is the kind of guy that would make a five-star meal the sport act at a dinner with him. He is wickedly smart and has a dark, oaky humour that would pair well with a good Shiraz. Mmm, 2003, I recommend. We talk about the deep stuff, but also game-changing pizza theory of Matt's. You're going to love this chat, I tell you. You can follow Matt on Instagram at Matt's Cravat. But in the meantime, here's your bread basket. Get ready. The meal's about to arrive. It's Matt Preston. Shh, that's quite enough. Just shut your mouth. I don't give a stuff. Shush, please. Yes, I can hear. But I don't care, that's enough already. Shut up. Oh, shush. You know, you could have literally have been famous for anything. You could have been a style icon. You could have been a, a musician. You could have been just literally anything. And I ended up being famous, famous for eating cake, which is probably the best thing to be famous for, really. Isn't it? I think, you know, I mean, I mean it really is. You've got to be funny. Every time as you, you carry it, you've got to be funny. All I've got to do is just open my mouth. I don't have nothing has to come out of it. Stuff just goes into it. It's so much easier than you have to open your mouth and wisdom and humor and you know great insights and fart jokes come out. Yeah, it's more it's more on the fart joke side. But uh, honestly, I, like I spoke to a friend of mine. He was on um, like he's a baker. He he was on the English Bake Off and he was yeah. on South African Bake Off and um he lived in India for a while and then um. When you did, you were a guest host on um, Have You Been Paying Attention? That's yeah. where I met you the first yeah, time. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, of course, knew about your work and a huge fan of the show. And then I sent him a photo. I said, look who I just met today. And he fizzed out and he then sent it around to all of his mates. And he goes, you don't know how famous this man is in India. Yeah, look, I mean, I think... It's very, very hard to get numbers out of production companies on, on how shows do overseas. So as we traveled, we talked to executives in each network and try and get a sense of how many people watched it. So we ended up knowing that like 2.5 million watched it in South Africa, yeah. 1.5 in Holland, 6 to 7 million in India. And, you know, so really Australia ended up being the, maybe the fifth or sixth market for us. It was a, it was a small market. It's almost a bit like the neighbor's scenario. Yeah. And uh, look, the Indian thing is, I think was interesting. We came along as, as the Indian middle class exploded. Yeah. And I think because we were seeing doing short words show, it was important for a whole generation of this new middle class to learn English. And so they used it, you know, when people said, here we go, we're going to chop the potato. They were, oh, that's a potato. That must be chopped. So, so it, I think that, that was part of the attraction. But there is also, there, you know, and we tend to forget this, I think, in Australia. It's an, an incredibly alluring country. When you live in a built-up place like, I don't know, Amsterdam or Joburg or, or Delhi, the prospect of Australia and those beaches and no one on them and, you know, the blue skies. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty idyllic place. I think that combination of a, of a show that was all about acceptance and welcoming everyone and celebrating everyone, everyone and their food um, yeah. kind of resonated in lots of different countries for the same risk. Yeah, I mean... There's a quote that you said that's your favourite. It's like, it's not, what was the quote? It's not about the food, it's about the eyes over the tongue. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, you know, that's true. Yeah. Great nice out the food, 
the wine, the service enhances your enjoyment of the people. There are a few occasions where it's like going to church, you know, it's like going to a gaspro temple and you just go and worship. It's all about what's on the plate. When, and whenever I'm asked to write the list of my favorite you know, restaurants at the moment or dining experiences in the last year, it always starts with, I was with the boys from tennis. I was, you know, um, we, we just film, finished filming in Tokyo and we all went to fans little take, you know, but it always starts with, it invariably starts with the people I was with, and my wife and I were, you know, it always starts with the people I'm with and then, then, and then the food and the restaurant becomes second. Right? I kind of think that that's the way it is. When people ask you, you know, where should I go? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to Melbourne. Where should I, your, your first question is, well, who are you going with? Yeah. And what, what, what's the tone of the place? Because, you know, restaurants aren't all things to all people. Some are right for some time. Some are right for totally different experiences. Yeah, because I always think, you know, when people go, they're going to go to Vietnam or I'm going to go to Hong Kong or I'm going to go. It's always about the food. It always comes down to yeah. who you've hung out with, you know, like you say, yeah. that that foremost. And then that's why, they, the, I mean, the dream scenario, the big question people will always say is like, if you could have a dinner party with six people dead or yeah, alive, sure. who would you have? No one says, if you could have six people dead or alive at a comedy show with you. The difference is that food is always that supporting act. Yeah. So, you know, the art of feasting is crucial. So, you know, it's there at the christening. It's at the beginning. It's there at the wake at the end. It's there for all those Christmases, all those birthdays, all the anniversaries. Um, all those weddings, you know, all the, all those christenings, your own kids. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of that it, it it has a a ritualistic power that makes it kind of very special. I think what happens with with you know the idea of sitting down for dinner and to a degree, I think the dinner party, the phrase dinner party is dead. No one has dinner parties anymore. You have friends round. Yeah. That old fashioned, slightly sturdy idea of food has dissipated in the last ten years, which is a fantastic thing. Food tends to be a very personal experience, right? Yeah. So you really, you sit with, you sit with a group of people around the table and maybe you have your own food and you have your own, your own experience. The, the, there's experience of the room and the service, but you know, those, those Murray Cod wings or, or, or that, that little crispy bit of lamb, lamb chop is all your experience. Whereas you go and watch comedy, you know, you're sitting in a room full of 5,000 people. You don't see a band. You're sitting in a space with 50,000 people. You're all singing along. I think there's a different experience, and I think that's why the headiness you get after going to see a great comedy show, a great live music show, will always eclipse the pleasure of eating because eating is fundamentally a, a solo pleasure. There's a bit of a conversation about it, but it's fundamentally a solo pleasure. This is the big question. When you're touring, a touring comedian, like I don't eat before I go on stage because, you know, I get really bad stage fright, uh, you know. It would be messy. Yeah. So I'm like, my first thought before I walk out is, let's hope I don't vomit on anyone. Like it's <laughs> less so now, but sort of that, <laughs> that part still there. I, I sort of appreciate it. I, I, I'm like, I think it makes me appreciate the stand-up more, you know, when I'm sort of aware of everything because I'm so scared I'm going to vomit on anyone. It certainly makes me appreciate sitting in the row, row four or five rather than one or two. That's fair right now. I don't know, mate. You, you want to be in the clouds for this one. I'm a power chucker. <laughs> you, 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 you channel the exorcist. It's a, yes. it's, a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful trait there are to green and carrot. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like now, uh, even yesterday I was with um, some comics and everyone's like, have you cooked? Have you actually made a meal? And I'm like, honestly, I live off wraps. Like um, I'll get a wrap and I'll get some 
cold meats and egg and cheese and all that. Yeah. That's me that's for the delicious for the duration, you know. But is that because is that because you're a comedian? You you're out indulging your calories in in whiskey and cosmopolitans because surely when when you go out, isn't there the whole thing of you know going to the local ramen place or you know it's, it's not like the 1970s where there would be nothing open. No, you know? it's open, but that's the thing. It's like if you, after your show, say 10 o'clock, now you're ready to eat, right? Yep. Now, a, a few things come into play. A, you don't want a heavy meal at 10 o'clock because yeah, sure. you still need to go to sleep. Two, not all of the healthy places are open. You know, the healthy places. Oh, no, the healthy places are never, never at 10 o'clock. They are they're open, they're open at 6 till 4. That's right, yes. absolutely. yeah. The, the, only, the only thing you can get, get is fried. Yeah. Fried and greasy, which, which as we know, the, the two, the two holy words in food after, food after 10 o'clock at night, fried and greasy. Yeah. But now, Sweet if, and you, salty. if you go, okay, well, I'm, I haven't had a drink yet. Now you're going straight for fried food. But do you want to eat after a show? Are you not still kind of buzzing from no, adrenaline? No, now and... I'm starving. As soon as you come off stage, because then you go, the yeah. last time I ate was like one o'clock. In the afternoon, I had lunch, and now it is 10 o'clock at night. Now I'm starving. Now I'm like, okay, I need to eat something now. But you're not taking, you're not taking this comedy serious. You need to be like Monica Shellesh. You need to be having a couple of bananas. You need to be having a couple of bananas half an hour before you show. All right. To just to, just to have some carbs in there, a bit of sugar. You know, you got to, you can't just, I mean, a, a woman's not alive. You can't eat at one and then go on stage at 8.15. You expect to be at your best. <laughs> Unless you're so hungry, what, you want to wander the crowd chips. Honestly, sometimes I look at whether, especially if there's an interval and they come back in with ice cream, I'm like, stop oh. the people with your ice creams. Well, I mean, I think doing an interview is a foolish mistake because you're absolutely right. It's one of those things, isn't it? So one of those things, just sitting there watching people lick their ice cream, it's not conducive to telling jokes, I would have thought. It's very, very off-putting. Yeah, it's weird. And you know, when someone in a theatre is having an ice cream, I don't know who came up with that plan. I don't know if people, people who don't go to theatres maybe don't know this, but they sell ice cream at the theatre. And so you come out after the interval and the, half the audience is licking an ice cream. I sometimes want to just jump out and grab a few things from the audience and go, thank you, I need this for the show. Or alternatively, you could just not have such a long show that you need to have a little bit of time off halfway through. Most people work for eight hours. Most people go to work very long. You get on the stage for 45 minutes, feel a bit tired. I'm going to have a bit of a sit down now for 20 minutes. Yes. You get ice cream, I'll come back in a minute. I don't do it for me, Matt. I'm here for the people. I'm a woman <laughs> of the people. I do it. So that guys who haven't had their prostate checks can go to the bathroom and women can queue for two hours. They miss the second half of the show because they're all queuing. I, I mean, it, it, much like the cuisine in Australia, it depends on which where I go, whether I let them keep the bar open. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, people don't know this, but you, the performer, have the power to shut the bar. Really? But, um, yeah. And I, so some places, Hearth, I um I let them close the bar during the show because otherwise they keep getting up. Oh, oh, they keep getting up and going to the bar. Yeah, it's like how some people will get up four or five times to go to the bar. I'm like, it's an hour and a half show. Is that different? Like, so Perth, is that a particular Perth thing? People in Brisbane don't do that. They they come in, they sit down, the lights go down. They're there. They're not moving. They've kind of they've made their campus staying in it. Yeah. Does does it have, is it just Perth that does that? No, I mean, Townsville is big for that too. It sort of depends on, so so Melbourne, and I've figured now, it's sort of, if I can spot the doors, if I can see the doors, 
then people are hesitant to go out. Even though I don't pick on my audience, I've written jokes, um, but for my audience, not for the latecomers. And I'll say yep. to the audience, um, people will come in late. I go, and I don't want you to make fuss about it. Don't look at them. Don't turn your heads. Even if they come in loud or they have to climb over you, let them do it. Make space, like move your drink, let them come in. I go, because that couple have been fighting in the car. <laughs> you know, I go, because then you sort of build it up in the room. And I go, that couple has been fighting in the car. She's going, I told you we we're going to be late. Or he's uh, nagging mm. her. He's like, it's because you always take ages. Now we're late for a comedy show because they will be aware of yeah. the fact that they uh, might. Uh, it, it, you think people have first night nerves getting up on stage in your, in your case, but just going to see a comedy festival show is a, is a very stressful experience. The only person, the only time I've seen it not be a stressful experience, there used to be a, there used to be a, a comedian called Jerry Savitz, amazing on Scottish, uh, but very aggressive, very loud comedian, a superstar of his era. Um, yeah. kind of, and my friend had a bad case of nods and fell asleep in the front row with his feet on the stage. On stage? On his feet on the stage. Just passed out like that, like that. And that of his had it going <laughs> and he just slept all the way through it. And it was like, this is the ultimate echo. The ultimate heckle is to do nothing. Yeah. Because that is just totally drunk. The guy wouldn't wake up and he, you know, yeah. he did the whole checking the breath to see if he's really breathing. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, the, 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 there must be that. Maybe the ice cream was the same thing. Just that side of, of, the, of the kid, you know, licking the ice cream on the story of the state, just, just you know, that peripheral vision. Yeah. It's just like, no, 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 no you're not paying attention. You're, yeah. you're more in love with the ice cream with me and I'm the performer. I'm the one you paid to see. This shouldn't be the case. To the, to the factor of $4 to $40, you should love me 10 times more. Maybe I should have the ice cream on stage and I should be the one selling the ice cream. Oh, my God. You could reward people with, 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 with ice cream. Yes. I could go one scoop or two. You know, I think it would get in the way, way of your drop-dead um, dynamic comedy. Oh, look at you. Look at you flattering me. <laughs> You're just sucking up. So if you ever come to one of my shows, and I clock you, I won't pick on you. you know, and it's picky. Yeah. I won't do it. A, no, 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 well, you've already told me you won't do it anyway, but, but for me, you'll make an exception, which I kind of like that idea. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, if you had to teach home ec, now I'm, I went to boarding school in South Africa. Yep. Um, and they would not allow the boys, I, like this isn't the question, I just want you to know this. They would not allow boys to take home ec and they would not allow girls to take woodwork. Hmm. That was just the kind of era. Yeah, very, very, very old fashioned. Um, yeah. So two of our, two of our best known chefs, um, Shannon Bennett and Curtis Stone, both went to the same school, both did home ec at their, their boys only school. They were bused to the, the nearby girls school. I think it was Shannon Bennett, Curtis Stone, and I think it might have been Tony Hawk, the same skateboarder, all went to do home The idea thing, you know, they, their smart thinking was, we'll meet girls this way. Yeah. Um, but the, the irony is they ended up learning how to make a souffle, which is, which is a fair outcome. What a ridiculous idea also when I trust the female trading way better. I've seen the protests in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, you know, like, uh, it, it has taught me a lot of things. One of them is not to be sassy to tradies. No, 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 never, never. Tradies are your best friend. Yeah, yeah. Tradies are your best friend. Oh, yeah. There's something about being in sunshine all day that makes you real sassy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've never seen someone with a tan that's shy. Yeah, that's well, a it's a very interesting observation. That's a very interesting observation. The extroverts tan. It is. Like, shy people don't go out. Whereas, you know, extroverts are happy to sit outside and at a cafe and watch people or go to the beach by themselves or whatever. 
Not that I'm saying shy people can't go in a group, but they're usually not as brown. It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's interesting because that whole idea of how the fashion has changed, you know, in Roman times, they used to, they used to put lead on their faces to make them look paler. Yeah. And, and, and that was always the theory, wasn't it? That it was a mark of being sophisticated that you didn't have to work outside. Yeah. That, you know, that your hands were soft and that your face was pale. There's another, another thing that comes into, into the whole art of um, classical sculpture and painting was, was this whole idea of that there was a distinct division between um, how you portrayed someone from, from a kind of peasant class and how you portrayed someone from a patrician class. Yeah. When you go to Florence and Rome, yeah. all, the classy, all the classy statues have small penises. Yeah, that's weird. Why is that? Because, because a big schlong was seen as being something like a tan like horny hands that was kind of more like more animalistic and more pedanty and, you know, more of that sort of world rather than this kind of, which is weird. It is weird because, you know, the, the rich ladies would be into it. And also, I mean, doesn't it also sound, sound like a load of, a load of rich players going, let's make the small penis really fashionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This sounds like a guy who's done a bit of thinking before going to the dressing room at the golf club. That's and, right. If we get a few statues, we'll, we've been normalising tiny penises here. Yeah, yeah, yeah honey. Look, look, look at these new. Yeah. That's what they like. Yeah. Perfect. Genius. Genius. It's a fine idea. Yeah, stop saying I've got a micro penis. I've got an artistic penis. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> God, rich people shit me. <laughs> okay, so you're a home ec teacher. Yeah. What would be like the top three things you would teach a class our students go, this is the three things or, you know, whatever. What is yeah, your- sure. Okay, um, number one, number one is making soup. Yeah. It's so simple. Everyone goes, oh, make, you know, and it's really, it's just roasting or cooking vegetable in, in stock and blending it. Boom, done, soup, simple. Yeah. Really simple. If you do that, you can feed yourself really cheaply. I think number, number two is the ability to make either meringue or cake. There's nothing more impressive than a pavlova. There's nothing more impressive than, than pulling out a, a chocolate cake or a sponge cake. So I think, I think that that's a really good skill to, to lose. And then I think probably the other one is just that it's a very simple skill of learning how to use a kitchen thermometer. Um, because, you know, there's all this thing about how do I cook steak and when is it right? And when is it ready? What about the chicken? And when do I have the fish is done? You buy a $20 kitchen thermometer and you take it out of the drawer <laughs> when you're cooking your steak. And it'll tell you when it's medium rare. And you go, oh, it's perfect. And then you look like a hero because every time you cook steak, it's always medium rare. Every time you cook chicken, it's just cooked. When you cut it, the flesh weeps. Um, so I think, I think those three things, it also means you're also covering vegetarians and vegans in terms of the soup and the rang stuff. And to be able to roast chicken is a, is a brilliant skill. I do think, you know, one of the great things to make at home is pizza. If you buy one of those little tabletop pizza ovens get really hot, make your own dough. There's something very impressive about that. And also, you know, the, the, the whole thing about pizza, the length of time between the, the oven door and your mouth, the shorter you can get that length of time, the better the pizza. It's got like a half-life. For every minute, every minute is out of there, it's half as good. So if you put it on a, the back of a rickety old kind of electric bike in a, in a hot box, by the time it gets you, it's like, you know, a hundredth as good as it was. So if you make the pizza on the table like that and open it up, pick up your slice and away you go, heaven. Who, who would you have, living or dead, at a dinner at your house? You're not cooking. You're just there for the conversation. Who is at your table? Six people. I, I've debated this for 15 years because it's, it's invariably one of the great questions. You've got to have Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. 
because you want you want to see whether he's um, is an alien or not, and also you want to see if he really did invent the helicopter. It would be pretty good to have Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because if he didn't show up, it would answer a few questions. Yes. Um, also, if you run out of wine, you sort it. Hello. <laughs> and, and, and the only you don't, you don't need much bread and fish. That's right. Perfect. His is sorted. Yeah. You'd have to have Elvis Presley because you'd, you'd want to persuade him to sing. Yeah. And he does have one of those, one of those amazing voices. And then, and then you've got to have three funny, stimulating, brilliant women to match that. Um, Catherine the Great is pretty special. I think she would be pretty good. I think you probably want to have Ursula Carlson. Yeah, no, Because she's very funny. I think so. And then possibly, possibly Monica Bellucci, because you and I would both appreciate sitting to talking to Monica Bellucci. Amazing. And, and Monica, Monica could translate for um, Leonardo, and that would work well. And, you know, Leonardo could do little sketches of him at the table on the napkin, and that'd be cute. And, yeah, you know. that'd be amazing. See, you, you've worked you out the whole thing. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't take these questions lightly. People think this is a throwaway line. And we know, all know that there is only one answer to that question. And the answer is, I'd like my mother, my father, my dead grandmother, my other dead grandmother, my wife and my children. And, and that's, that's the answer. That's the only answer you could say because it's, it's unimpeachable. Everyone goes, oh. But I, I'm, I'm immediately thinking, how about Jim Morrison? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd have Jim Morrison. It'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can, we can have adjoining tables. Or we'll, mm. move, we'll link the tables and I'll have Jim Morrison as a crossover. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I'll have Oprah there too. Someone has to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask you, what shits you about other people? What irritates you absolutely to death about other people? I've become increasingly happy. And maybe this is a, a process of lockdown, but I quite like my own company. Yeah. I do that thing of, you know, of saying, oh, no, no, I'm just going to stay. I'm just going to stay in the rental for another night. Just have, a, you know, a night by myself and go for a walk on the beach with the dog. And so, so other, people are, other people are one thing. But in terms of things that shit me, um, uh, oh, I mean, you know, it's all the stuff, disloyalty, dishonesty. They're things that I don't, I don't, that kind of mendacity type stuff, I don't like. I don't have any time for that. I mean, at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is how you see yourself, isn't it? And, and whether, whether you're performing to, you know, the, the, the moral principle and guidelines that you set for yourself. What other people do is not your concern. You just ignore it. It's irrelevant whether they're, they're, they're dicks to you or nice to you. Yeah. You know, it's just more fun to hang out with the, with the people who are nice. What shits you about yourself? Um, prevarication, normally. It does mean the bathrooms get clean. And I know these being that thing matters to you. Yeah. But I did bleach from the bathroom and I, I went through all the plug holes to, to get all the hair out of the other day because I was prevaricating about, about writing this new memoir. <laughs> um, and, that, and, that, and that is, you know, the house has never been clean. Has Mate, never I've been painted cleaned. a whole house instead of write a show. And that's right. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I know, I know. It's so funny. I, I, I read that. It's like, yeah, absolutely. That, that's the way. So, so that bugs me. Um, it, yeah, it's more that stuff when you, I love that thing if you got a list, you tick it off, you do it. I'm not a fan of that stuff when you when you don't do it. Although I am now appreciating that there is just a simple joy. And this is this is an, a, a weird transition of turning sixty. You feel that now you're on that that slope down for a time. You know, you're you're young, your best years ahead of you. But I'm not sitting there and going, what do I really want to do? You know, kind of why don't I? You know, why can't we just you know let let's go on this, let, let let's go here and let. Let's go to Tasmania and spend two days catching squid and then eating them. And you go, that would be fun. So, you know, that I think that means that I've got much better at maybe I've got a bit more time 
Whereas previously I would be doing, you know, I'd be filming 12 hours a day, nine months or six months a year, publicity for four months a year. And there was no time. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that, they, that and you'll be, I would say you're in that, that situation now where, where time is the thing, it's the most precious thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that, and I think getting, you know, the winning of time becomes really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. I, before COVID even in, in 2018, I said, I need to start working smarter. So I'm there. Yeah. So or now I will fly back. Like I would, I would take a red eye back home so that I'm there yeah. with wake up in the morning. And then even if I'm just there for three days and then away again for two, but I would rather do that. And I will pull out a shows and, and so I don't live a big life. I don't have a, you know, a fancy car. I don't have a, you know, bar. I force myself to have that. Oh, I'm taking the all of summer. I'm taking all of summer off and I'm getting that tan. I think that whole thing, that whole thing of the power of saying no is, is the most, it's the challenge. When I was a freelance journalist, and, you know, this is really a source of what I do now as a freelance gig. Um, you know, what you do is a free, it's effectively a freelance gig. You don't want to turn down work because you're yeah. panicking that in the next, next week, it may all not happen. Yeah. And we've all been through that. We all, we all saw that happen yeah. two years ago when COVID started, you know, all the shows were cancelled. All my, you know, TV show in the UK was cancelled. Um, you know, five, you know, I was going to Portugal, South Africa, all these great, great things. I love. They all went. Yeah. And he went, actually, it's not so bad. I got to hang out with my kids. It was really good. My son would smash me on the rower. And it was that, there were lots of really positive things to come out of it. So I think that whole perspective of things become, becomes really, has maybe we've all had a bit of chance to see the perspective and say, maybe a lot of the stuff we were chasing was, you know, was perhaps not so important. And, and there, is, there is a, you know, that's one of those reassessment things you should do every couple of years now, where you, you write down all the things you do and how much you love. So you, you rank them, you know, I love this 80%, 90%, 5%. And then you write in all the things of what they each pay you. And invariably you find the shit you really love pays nothing and the shit you really, they really hate pays really well. Yeah. And, and so then the answer is strip out the middle. Do the stuff you love, do the stuff that pays and forget about the stuff in the middle. Yeah. And that, and that, that seems to be for me the, the secret to kind of achieving some balance. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank you, Ezra. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's Enough Already, hosted by me, Ursula Carlson, and produced by the young and effervescent James Blake. The supervising producer was Nick McClure, and special thanks to Ella Leav and Beck Sutherland, who are both currently getting pedicures. If you like this episode, please remember to subscribe and share with a friend. Listener.